We are using a handout this morning because we are in two chapters of 2 Kings, and it covers a portion of 2 Chronicles, from 2 Chronicles 29.1 to 32.22, so a large, large portion of Scripture. Well, the handout is so you don't have to be flipping around in your Bibles, and also I'll, in many instances, just be reading the bold print of the Scripture passage so that you can stay with us and you can see the context, and if you care to, when you go home, you can look at it more thoroughly. So I will be editing my remarks as I go. I begin by saying that there are a very few people who are referred to as goats. That is the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan is considered by many to be the greatest basketball player of all time, though LeBron James is giving him a run for his money. So he is a goat. It's more widely agreed that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. If you want to argue with me, that's fine. Uh, I'll see you at the door. And uh, <laughs> he certainly has the, played the, the longest and holds many of the NFL records. Well, this morning, we're going to have a goat of a king, the greatest of all time, a king that is noted in one specific area. Hezekiah is revealed as the greatest king of all time in trusting the Lord. Key verse is 2 Kings 18.5. He, that is Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. So that would even include David. And as we think about David, a man after God's own heart, there's so many good things we can say about David, and yet... Hezekiah even surpasses David in his trust of the Lord. It's good to realize that here we have a comparative statement of Hezekiah's trust in the Lord as compared to that of other kings' trust in the Lord. Just as there are varying degrees of basketball skill and prowess, and just as there are varying degrees of football skill and prowess and accomplishments, so too there are varying degrees of trust in the Lord. Trust is not simply limited to something that one has or does not have. I say not limited to what someone has or does not have, for certainly there are people who simply do not trust in the Lord at all, those who have never come to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We can say that they don't trust in the Lord, but for the majority who are here this morning who have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, it's good to know that we trust in the Lord in varying degrees. That's very important for us to keep in mind. So the issue for us this morning is not whether or not we trust in the Lord, but rather how fully and faithfully or consistently we exercise that trust in the Lord. If you are here this morning with a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I know that you're placing your faith and trust in the Lord. But the question is, how can we grow? How can we develop? How can we increase that trust 
in the Lord. Trust in the Lord is by far the dominant theme in our passage. Note how often the word trust appears in the text. I'll just read the whole uh, bold parts. 2 Kings 18.20, in whom do you now trust? 18.21, trusting now in Egypt. Verse 22, we trust in the Lord our God. Verse 24, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. Verse 30, make you trust in the Lord by saying, 2 Kings 19.10, do not let your God in whom you trust. You see, trust, 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 trust. That is what this passage is about. We are introduced to a king who has trusted the Lord like none before him and none after him. And now we see trust as the central element to the passage that we're going to consider. So the theme this morning is that we're going to consider trust issues associated with trust as evidenced in the life of Hezekiah. I have a simple outline this morning. We're going to be looking at the occasion for trust, the obstacle for trust, the occurrence of trust, and the outcome of trust. We begin by looking at the occasion for Hezekiah's trusting the Lord. There was not just one occasion, but rather a constant need for Hezekiah to trust in the Lord. 2 Kings 18.1, our text begins with the words in the Third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Hezekiah had to trust in the Lord in order to purify the worship of the people of Israel, of Judah. Tells us in verse 4 that he removed the high places, broke the pillars, cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. That was when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they had uh, been judged by God and they were bitten by snakes and then if they could look to the pole they would be healed. But they came to worship that pole rather than worship God, so he broke that down. And it says, for until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So it takes trust in the Lord. It takes faith to do those kinds of reforms. For it was going to be opposed. It was, the people were not going to be pleased with all of these reforms. And he had to believe that God would have his back. Hezekiah had to trust in the Lord in order to follow the commandments of God. Verse 5 tells us he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Then now down to the next bold section. For he held fast to the Lord, did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So it takes trust, it takes faith to follow the commandments of God. As you and I both know, there are many instances in which we may second-guess the commandments of God or, or believe that we are unable to do what God would call us to do or Perhaps it doesn't make much sense to us, so uh, he's evidencing trust repeatedly. So application, as we think about life in general, in all aspects of our lives, we need to be manifesting trust in the Lord. So trust is kind of a universal need that is present in our lives. In everyday living, 
it's necessary that we be exercising trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord needs to be a constant in our lives. However, there are instances of great challenge when trust needs to be evidenced in a rather spectacular way. There are challenges that come into our lives that we need to meet head on by having trust in the Lord. We're going to look at one significant occasion in which Hezekiah had to be placing trust in the Lord. The king of Assyria was coming to wage war against Hezekiah and his kingdom. The question is, what would Hezekiah do in response to this threat of the king of Assyria? Now, to give you some background, Hezekiah had rebelled against the rule of the Assyrians. Up until this point, Judah is under the control of the Assyrians. And a part of the prosperity that uh, Hezekiah was experiencing, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Number two, as a result, the king of Assyria attacked and conquered some strongholds of Judah. Verse 13. The 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Initially, Hezekiah regrets having rebelled against the king of Assyria. Verse 14, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. I've done wrong. I made a mistake. Right? Let me backtrack here. I don't want to rebel anymore. Okay? I had my fingers behind my back. Okay? This, this is not on the table. I'm yours. Okay? I belong to you. I'm not going to rebel. You know, it's easy when things are not going the way we expected them to go to second-guess our decisions, to wonder if what we did was the right thing to do. God did not want Judah under the control of the Assyrians, but he starts second-guessing himself. Number four, Hezekiah then pleads with the king of Assyria to withdraw, and Hezekiah offers to pay the king of Assyria whatever the king of Assyria wants. He doesn't even negotiate. Notice the bold in verse 14. Withdraw from me whatever you impose on me I will bear. He wants to buy him off. Okay? Just go away. Leave. Let us be and I will give you whatever you want. Well, the king of Assyria levies a very burdensome tax upon Judah. The end of verse 14, the bold lettering. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. It was an astronomical fee. I remember he said, I'll give you whatever you want. Well, the Assyrian king wasn't going to go easy on Israel. He demanded a lot. So much so that it broke Judah. Hezekiah, number six, agrees to pay the tax 
and even strips the temple of its gold in order to pay the tax. Verse uh, 15, And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts. So he spends all the money they have. That's still not enough. So he goes to the temple and literally takes not only the gold that is reserved in the temple, but even the gold that's on the door and its post. He just gets every piece of gold that he can find. So one might wonder, how does a king who so thoroughly trusts in the Lord now fail to rely upon the Lord and turn to paying off the king at the expense of desecrating the temple? You must keep in mind that this king has been very faithful in his worship of God. To make the point of how inconsistent this behavior is, the Bible reminds us that it is the king Hezekiah who had replaced the gold that previous kings had stripped away. Notice 2 Kings 16, 16. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts. Now this added information that Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid. So it was just in this last 14 years that the temple is finally restored. Worship is finally back to the way it was. The temple is now looking good again. And what does he do? He turns around and strips the temple of the gold and acts like the kings that were before him. It is tremendously inconsistent at best. What takes place seems out of character, and it is. One must be kept in mind that though Hezekiah failed in this one regard, even at this time, even in his failure, he is still trusting in God, for he has not abandoned his faith. All right? he, he doesn't go into apostasy. He, he doesn't rebel against God. He, he doesn't lift his fist against God, but he wavers. He wavers and strips the gold. I would like it into a, a person who knows the Lord and trusts the Lord, but, you know, things are going tough, and they say, I don't know if I can pay, pay my tithes. I, I don't know if, if I'm able to, to do this. Uh, I don't know where where these bills are going to be paid, I, I guess I, I got to use my tithe money in order to meet my needs. That doesn't mean that you are no longer a Christian or you're no longer committed to Christ, but it's saying in that instance, I, I have doubts, I, I have uncertainty. I, I don't know if God is able or willing to provide. So here we see a struggle that's going on in the mind and life of Hezekiah. Application. Here we learn that even the best of us, our trust in the Lord ebbs and flows. And it's the old two steps forward, one step back. There are times in which we trust and others in which we fail to trust. We need to seek to be more consistent in manifesting trust in the Lord. 
You see, if we look at a man of whom the Bible tells us, we're, we're not putting him on a pedestal. We're just reflecting on what the Scripture tells us, and that is here's a man who trusts God more than anyone else, any king before him or after him, and yet we see an instance in which he's, he's failing to trust. People were not sinless. We all are inconsistent. So what are we to learn from this portion of Scripture about that, that inconsistency? Secondly, we also see the progressive nature of trusting in the Lord. As we mature in the Lord, our trust in the Lord increases. Through this incident, Hezekiah's trust in the Lord will actually increase. Though, too, in our own lives, out of our lack of trust can be produced an even greater trust. We can learn through our inadequacies and in our insufficiency. And we will see that certainly Hezekiah does. See, even though the monies are paid, the king of Assyria does not withdraw his troops, but rather advances against Jerusalem. Verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsarsis, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. Let's jump down to verses 19 and 20. 19, and Rabshakeh said to him, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Israel, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war in whom you do now trust that you have rebelled against me? Now the king has already taken it back. The king has made a deal. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. He stripped the temple. He pays all the gold. But it should not surprise us that the king of Assyria could not be trusted. He lies. He takes the money, but he continues in wanting to fight against Jerusalem. Which teaches us that God's word alone can be trusted. This scheme that seems to have been clever doesn't avail at all. It's futile. It doesn't slow the process of the Assyrians in coming against Jerusalem. So now the issue is, will Hezekiah surrender the city or not? Here's, here's the next biggie. The Assyrian army is sitting virtually at the gates of Jerusalem. He's tried to buy off the Assyrian king. That didn't work. Now, the Assyrian king is going to say to Hezekiah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, just give up. Just give up. Become mine. I'll deport you. I'll, I'll send you away, but at least you'll have your life. But if you refuse, you're going to die. So now what's Hezekiah going to do? Next occasion for trust. Now we look at the obstacles to Hezekiah's trusting in the Lord. Or if there weren't obstacles, trusting in the Lord would be an easy thing. Uh, if, if there weren't 
forces at work, if, if there wasn't an antithetical thought, if, if it just seemed like such an easy and right thing to do, we, none of us would struggle in trusting in the Lord. But there were problems. There were problems. And I want to look at those problems to help us understand what are the negatives to trusting. B, there were many obstacles that Hezekiah faced to deter him from trusting in the Lord. So too, there will be many obstacles that we will face in putting our trust in the Lord. The first obstacle was the defeat of Israel by the king of Assyria. Now, the king is a different king, but the nation is the same. Hmm. So, likewise, how others have fared in similar circumstances can lead us to doubt. So we're told in the text, in 2 Kings 18.9, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, just reading the bold parts, Shalmanazar, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was in the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. Samaria was taken. So now the larger kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, Israel's divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Now the Israel kingdom has fallen. The capital city has been taken by the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians are coming against Israel. Excuse me, coming against Judah. So what's he going to do? Well, notice, number one, however, Israel's defeat was easily explainable. They were defeated because they had been unfaithful to God. Notice verses 11 and 12. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God but transgressed his covenant. All right? Now that's easy to see. That's easy to understand. They've been experiencing that time and time again, that when they've been unfaithful to God, things don't go well. Well, that's not a huge obstacle. Even though Israel's larger than they are, the king of Judah knows, well, what do you expect? What do you expect? That wicked, that wicked nation, they're, of course, going to fall captive to the Assyrians. Number two, but that actually leads to another obstacle. D, the second obstacle to trusting in the Lord were the losses that Hezekiah suffered in his own kingdom after having been faithful to the Lord. Hezekiah had been very faithful to the Lord right from the start. Chronicles informs us that the religious reforms started day one of Hezekiah's becoming king. Second Chronicles 29.1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. Down to the next bold statement, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out this built from the holy place. Our text in 2 Kings 18 summarizes Hezekiah's religious reforms. 18.4, he removed the high places, broke down the pillars, cut down the Asherah, 
He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. He, for until that day, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah had made outstanding religious reforms, including even the restoration of Passover, which we are told in the book of Chronicles. And so he expected God to bless him, and God did. Second Chronicles 31, 20, and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God, in accordance with the law and commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart. He didn't even have mixed motives. Not only did he do the right thing, but he had the right motivation. This guy is great. Notice at the end of verse 21, and prospered. All right, so the kingdom's coming back. It's flourishing. They've got money. Things are going great. The scripture in 2 Chronicles makes this crucial point, and I want you to see it. So I put it not only in bold, but in huge letters, so you don't miss it. And after these things, and read the next with me out loud, and these acts of faithfulness. Wow. Our text doesn't point to unfaithfulness. It points to faithfulness. This guy did everything right. And he was faithful. Now notice, back to our handout, page 8. And after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. What is stressed is not Hezekiah's unfaithfulness, but his faithfulness. And surprise, surprise, how is that faithfulness rewarded? Well, we saw earlier with prosperity, but now the king of Assyria is coming against them. Rather than peace, there's the prospect of war. Further, not only did the Assyrian king wage war against Hezekiah, Hezekiah experiences a number of important defeats. Verse 13, the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Israel, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them, and took them. <coughs> took them by siege, meaning that he starved them out until they, until they surrendered. I submit to you that this is the biggest obstacle to trusting in the Lord. When he did everything that was right to do, and not only outwardly was the right thing to do, with the right motivation, with the right heart, with an allegiance to God, all of a sudden, everything starts going wrong. Application. It can be devastating to our faith when we have been doing what is right and faithfully serving God when troubles come. 
It's the old, why is this happening to me? It's difficult when you have been faithfully reading your Bible, when you have been faithfully praying, when you've been faithfully coming to church and you're doing it for the right motives, not out of some kind of legalistic responsibility and duty, but because you love the Lord, because you want to hear his word, because you want to commune with him, because you want to understand the truth of God's word better, you're doing all the things that you ought to be doing as a Christian, and then something terrible happens. That's a big obstacle to trust especially because of what we are told by so many. The health and wealth gospel. As long as you have faith, as long as you trust, you won't get sick, you'll prosper, you'll be rich. You know, as long as you're doing the right thing, God is going to open the storehouse of, of heaven and just bless you, brother and sister. That's why it's so important to read the scriptures, and especially the Old Testament. Or it is so revealing as to the truth of the Christian life. Here, everything is done right, and the sky is falling. Trouble is on the horizon. E, the third obstacle to trusting in the Lord is the distortion of the person and character of God that others supply. Then Kings 18.30, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given in the hand of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria just challenges this belief system of the part of Hezekiah and the people. So notice what Hezekiah says. Be strong, courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and of the hordes that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God, who help us to fight our battles, and the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So he's saying, there's more with us than with him. It's not true in a literal sense. It's true in the sense that God is with them, and with God being with them, that's greater than any horde of army. Again, the words of the king of Assyria, then Kings 18.31, make your peace with me and come out to me, then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig and each one of his own drink, the water of his own cistern. Come out, give up, surrender, and all will go well. But notice the distortion of God. Well, the king of Assyria goes on to say, where are the gods of Amma and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sheph, Arvim, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Syria, Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? I've defeated all these gods. What do you think your God's going to do? Hezekiah resisted the distortion of God's person and character. Then Kings 19, 17, and 18. Truly, O Lord, these are the words of Hezekiah in a prayer to God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. It's true. 
and they cast their gods into the fire. It's true. But the reason is, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So even though the king of Assyria distorts the person and character of God, Hezekiah knows better. And he says, yes, it's true. All these other gods were defeated because they weren't really gods. But our God is a true God. Our God's a great God. He will defend us. Number five, the fifth obstacle to trusting the Lord is these false claims to biblical revelation. Verse 25, moreover, it is without the Lord that I've come up against the place to destroy it. The Lord has said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. These are the words of the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria says, God told me to go out and fight against you, and God told me I will win. This morning in Sunday school, we learned that the same tactic was used against Nehemiah, a, a false declaration of what God has said. It is as old as the hills. It is the, the very temptations that the evil one used in against Jesus, as God said. And Jesus corrected the misquotes of the evil one. That is as old as the hills to get people to misunderstand what the word of God says. And there are two forms of that which is taken. First, the false claim of revelation. He said, God told me this. He didn't. We live in a day and age in which false revelation abounds. People are claiming that they have they had a near-death experience and they were taken up to heaven and they're going to tell you what heaven is like. Or others, they were taken to hell and they're going to tell you what hell is like. Or God has whispered in my ear about what is going to happen next and, and how the nation is going to fall and what God is doing. It is the great obstacle to faith to listen to these false teachers that are proclaiming in the name of the Lord what they are saying is truth, when in actuality, it's falsehood. So we have to resist those temptations. And the second is close to it, and that is when people misinterpret the scriptures. When they turn on its head the clear teaching of the word of God and make it say something that it didn't. But he resists that, that obstacle to faith. So number three, the occurrence of Hezekiah's trusting in the Lord. Here's the manifestation of it. First, trust turns to the Lord. Hezekiah goes to the house of the Lord to humble himself and worship. Verse 1, as soon, now notice those words, as soon, right away, doesn't delay. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Now remember, he went into the very house of the Lord from which he had stripped the gold. The irony of that. The irony of that. He had stripped the house of the Lord of all of its gold in order to pay off this king. It doesn't work. The king's army's at his doorstep. So what does he do? He goes to that same house of the Lord, goes to the temple that he is desecrated and cries out to God. For here is trust. To know that God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that God is 
kind. He expects God to hear him. And of course he will. For the general thoughts about faithfulness and unfaithfulness is the secular idea is if you are faithful, you will be blessed. If you're unfaithful, you will not be heard. But here he, in his faithfulness, runs into his trouble, and in his unfaithfulness, cries out to God, and God hears. But you see, that's a big, important part of faith. Trust. Trusting in God's forgiveness. Trusting in God's mercy. Trusting in God's provision. Secondly, trust turns to the word of God for comfort and direction. In verse 12, he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. He sends to hear from, from Isaiah what God has to say. He heard the false proclamations of the king of Assyria. He knew that was false, but he wanted to know what God really did say. What did God declare about this situation? And so in 2 Kings 19, 5 and following, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah... Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor, return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. I will deliver you. I will deliver you. He's going to just turn around and leave. So trust turns to prayer. Verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. The promises of God did not cause Hezekiah to be indifferent, but rather the promises of God became the very basis of his prayers. And so it should be for us. We shouldn't presume upon God's promises, but we pray those promises. We trust in those promises. And we acknowledge that God is the upholder and faithful to those promises. Number four, trust in the Lord acknowledges the difficulties that have to be overcome. Verse 17, truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands, and they cast their gods into the fire. But trust in the Lord acknowledges the power of God. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand. And then lastly, trust in the Lord seeks to exalt the Lord. Verse 19, so now, O Lord God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Application, we should seek to trust in the Lord for it is that trust in the Lord that brings glory to God. Our trust in God brings praise to God from our own lips. Our trust in God brings praise to God from the lips of others. God will watch over us for his own name's sake. Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The outcome of Hezekiah's trusting in the Lord. Uh, I got to just reading the main points. The prayer of Hezekiah is answered. God informs Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah what will become of the king of Assyria and why. God will turn the king of Assyria around. 
The king of Assyria will never set foot inside the city of Jerusalem or even fight against it. God keeps his word. God does what he says, and he does what he will do. Verse 35, and that night the angel of the Lord went out, struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people rose early in the morning, behold, there were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. There was not an arrow shot. There was no battle. God turned the Assyrian nation around. God is vindicated in more ways than one. The Assyrian king's trust in his God is proven to be misplaced. It is the God that the king of Assyria trusted in that is defeated, verse 37. And as he, that is the king of Assyria, was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his God, Adramelech and Sharzer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. Don't miss the fact that it's while he's worshiping in the house of his God. And secondly, it is his own trusted family members that do the king of Assyria in. His sons struck him down with a sword and escaped him. All that uh, the king of Assyria trusted in proved to be worthless. All that Hezekiah trusted in proved to be of value. Conclusion. A. We need to realize that people have trust in God in varying degrees. Even the best of us have times of doubt and uncertainty. We need to realize that God is gracious in dealing with us and in our doubts. The incident of Hezekiah stripping the temple of its gold is not even recorded in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles gives us a lot of detail. And it's very interesting if you put 2 Chronicles up against kings. And let me just say to you, a harmony of uh, the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles by Crockett is extremely helpful. Where it puts in columns, you can see what is in one portion and what is not another. It's not even mentioned in Second Chronicles about this whole incident of stripping the, the temple of its gold. It's as though it was not worth mentioning in the greater scheme of things. That is, Hezekiah's life was one of trusting the Lord. The lesson is we need to see life not by snapshots, but rather as the full-length movie. As you, you take Hezekiah's life as a whole, it's just incredible the way in which he trusts in the Lord. But yes, there are a few times in which he wavers. I hope that the overall arching view of our lives can be we are people who are trusting in the Lord. And when we fail, we will do the very things that Hezekiah did, and that is turn to the Lord and seek his help and strength in our, in our failures. But we also need to see how, how faith grows. For it's easy to ask the question, when Hezekiah had been so faithful, and it's pointing out the fact that he was faithful, why did God allow the king of Assyria, to come and fight against Hezekiah? Answer, he was growing Hezekiah's faith and trust in the Lord. And he's going to enable Hezekiah, who begins by stripping the temple of its gold, but once that's done, and once that's gone, and once that's been proven to be futile, he's back in that very same temple praying, seeking the word of God, 
and doing what God would have to say, and he knows and experiences God's deliverance. God is making Hezekiah even stronger in his faith and in his commitment. God brings hardships into our lives to grow us, to teach us that God indeed is faithful, that God indeed can be trusted, that God indeed does keep his word. It is not at all inconsistent. So James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, various hardships. Count it all joy. Because God is working in you to produce faith and trust and commitment and maturity. We always need to be exercising trust in the Lord, but there will be those instances, those those occasions that come in which an extra amount of trust needs to be manifested. When we're talking about trusting in the Lord, what does it look like? It's worship. It's seeking the counsel and comfort through his word. It's praying God's promises. And it's acknowledging the power and grace of God. Trust may waver, but God in his grace leads his people to an ever greater trust and understanding of God's faithfulness. And in our wavering, we learn of God's grace and God's goodness. Just think of Hezekiah going to the very temple that he had taken all the gold out of and stripped the doors, and he goes to that temple expecting that God will hear, and he does. God hears us not because of our faithfulness. God hears us because of his grace. Because of his grace. May we praise God for his faithfulness, and may others see God's power as we trust in the Lord, as we are able to stand against things that people wonder how you can face. May our approach to life, may the hardships of cancer or the death of a child or all of the difficulties that that are not uncommon for the child of God, as we face them and maybe even struggle under them, May our crying out to God in his sufficiency demonstrate the uniqueness of our God. May we bring glory to him. And may it be seen that it is not our strength, but his. It's not that we are unique, it's he is unique. And in our weakness we are made strong. May God help us to be people of faith and trust. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, help us to be faithful. And yes, if we have been faithful, not to question why then things are happening to us 
But Lord, may we see that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to your purpose. You have a purpose. You have a reason. It is holy. It is just. And Lord, you preserved and you will preserve us. But give us trust and confidence. Help us in our wavering. Help us not to look to ourselves, but to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.